in a world that is ever-changing, how good it is to know that our God does not change. He is faithful. We're week three of our series on compassion, and last week I left you with the big idea that Jesus always responds with compassion to the real prayer of faith. That Jesus always responds with compassion to the real prayer of faith. My question this morning, though, how do you know that that's real? How do you know? How do you know that that promise is true and it's real? What's your evidence for that? Some of you this morning, as you come here, you you look inside at feelings and you say, oh, I feel it, so it's got to be true. Others of you may say, if God answers my prayer the way I want him to answer my prayer, it's true. Others of you, you might have a scrap of a Bible verse on, on your refrigerator and you're hanging on to a promise and you're hopeful that it's true. Some of you come here this morning and if you're really honest with yourself, you may not buy it. Let me just say that, say this this morning if that's you. I'm really glad that you're here. You're in the right place this morning. I believe that the answer to the question, how do we know that this is real, is perhaps best answered by the simple description of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I want to suggest to us this morning, and I'll share this off the top, and then we'll look at some words of Jesus that will unpack this. But the Holy Spirit cuts through whatever keeps us from seeing, and it compels us to act with the compassion of Jesus. So it's the Holy Spirit that is the evidence that cuts through whatever keeps us from seeing, and it compels us to action. Let me take you to some helpful words of Jesus that he shares with his disciples, and we'll unpack this statement. It's important that we know what we know to be true, and we have evidence for that. And we're all wired a little bit differently, and we have our own different experiences. Even this week, some of you may have brought joy. I mean, I heard a couple stories of God brought me through this surgery, and it was successful, and it was wonderful. The diagnosis was great. The new job's going well. The kids are perfect. (laughs) Others of you, maybe that's not the case today. The Holy Spirit 
cuts through all the other things that may cause us to depend on what we might not need to depend on, to know that he is real and it's true. So let me take you to John chapter 14. These are the words of Jesus as he is teaching his disciples. He's in Jerusalem. He has told them he will be lifted up. They're trying to process all of this that Jesus has said. Keep in mind, John, at the time of of hearing these words, is probably a teenager. The disciples are most likely in their 20s. They are hearing these words of Jesus. He has washed their feet. Jesus has predicted that Judas will betray, that Peter will deny, and they are somewhat confused. He says he's going to go away. And Thomas will say, we don't know where you're going. Show us the way. And Jesus will say those wonderful words that that may be on a fridge. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus says this, and I want you to hear the compassion in these words. John 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me pause and make a few observations. We'll work our way through the passage. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. One of the points that Jesus is going to emphasize is the connection between love and obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As we've said a few times, in in some ways, our obedience is a reflection, it's a response, it's evidence of our love, but it is also that which empowers us to obey. It is the attachment love of Jesus that gives us the power to obey. What are those commandments? Jesus sums it up very simply. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, there's this vertical relationship. Love your neighbor, there's a horizontal relationship. John will say over and over again, love. Love is what matters. Love for God, love for each other. The Holy Spirit in the ESV translation that I'm reading from, is described as our helper. I don't know that I've seen a word translated so many different ways throughout all the translations. Let me just read a few of these because it gives you a bigger picture. 
The Holy Spirit is our helper, our advocate, our comforter, our strengthener, our intercessor, our standby, our companion, our counselor, our friend. The God of the universe, one in essence, three persons, one what, three who's, where do we first see the Holy Spirit, page one of the Bible? The Spirit hovering over the waters of creation. And when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He is the Spirit of truth. Let's talk about truth for a moment. He is the spirit of truth. I want you to to consider truth from a few different vantage points. Truth is both objective. All people, all times. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Have you ever run out of gas in your car? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. You understand the reality of truth. Whether you believe it to be or not, if you're out of gas, you're out of gas. Even if your gas tank... Now, how many of you play the trick? I know, I know you're great. You do what you're supposed to do with your car, and you never let it go below E. Sometimes I flirt with disaster. If I can see about a two-millimeter gap past the E, I'm in trouble. Regardless of how perfect or imperfect our measurement, whether you're out of gas or not, is true. It is reality. Friends, there are things which are just true, whether you believe them or not. Our belief system as followers of Jesus, is based on the truth that Jesus came to this earth, that he taught what he taught, that he did what he did, and that he died on a Roman cross, and that he rose from the dead. And he promised that he will come back. That's a reality that is true, Now, it's not true because I say it's true. It's not true because you believe it's true. It's just true. Or it's false. It can't be just a wishful thinking kind of thing. It can't be like, you know, if you know the great story of the Polar Express little thing, and if you you believe it, it's true. If you believe in the bells ringing, then then it's true. No. Objective truth is or it's not. And we believe we have great reasons to believe that it's true. We've talked about the Rooted Summit coming up here in a few weeks. That's a a great opportunity to understand truth at a deeper level. So one of the ways that the, the Holy Spirit helps us 
is to remind us of the objective truths of our faith. At the same time, the Holy Spirit confirms the subjective truth of our experience. You and I as followers of Jesus, or if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Christ, you have an opportunity to do that even today as you're in this room. But we have an experience of a relationship with God that is personal, that's true. We have the opportunity and the calling to be truthful, to not be false, to not have pretense. So right at the top here, we know that the Holy Spirit dwells with us and will be in us. The Holy Spirit is not a force. This is not a Luke Skywalker, just close your eyes and feel the force. The personal presence of God is with you and in you. Let's continue, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Jesus promises his presence. Now let's, let's do just a moment of theology for a moment. That's redundant. Let's do a little bit of theology here. Where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus right now? It's an interesting question. What's Paul tell us? Colossians 3 verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now is there a huge chair in heaven that he's sitting in? I doubt that that's the case. There's another dimension. There's things that we can't fully grasp, but we know that Jesus sits in a position of authority. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died in your life, your life, my life, our lives as followers of Jesus are now hidden with Christ in God. By hidden, that means protected doesn't mean you won't get sick and die. God can intervene. How many of you prayed this week for God to intervene in your life? I hope that you did. (laughs) I did. How many of you prayed for a physical healing? God to work with you in a physical way. How many of you prayed for some like mental health, psychological, help me Jesus kind of prayer for you or somebody else? How many prayed, God, just help me pay the rent this week? Some of you are there. We cry out to God. We pray to him. We beg him to intervene. And our lives are hidden with Christ in God. 
regardless of how God answers that prayer. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. They are protected. They are protected. And the older I get, the more I see this. Life is painful. Life is hard. Our bodies break down. Our minds aren't as sharp as they once were. Don't look to the person beside you. That's reality, friends. You're going to die. Your body is going to break down. God may answer 27 prayers for you to be delivered, but eventually, unless he comes back before you die, you will die, I will die, we will die. Welcome to church. That's reality, though. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't step into reality. He gives us something better. Yes, he will answer prayer. Yes, he will change circumstances. Yes, he will do these things. But may our faith not be dependent upon how he intervenes. We live in the already and the not yet. Jesus is with you now. The Holy Spirit is with you now. There is a not yet. You will also appear with him in a perfect relationship with him. We don't have to wait for heaven for that. There's a degree of perfection. There's all these things that will be different. But we have a, an opportunity to have a relationship, a presence of God with us, in us, today. Let's continue. Verse 21. Jesus says, as whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest simply means show. I will show myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who would betray Jesus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. As our love for God grows... As we respond, our experience of his presence grows. Our identity as children of God doesn't change. It's not a perfect illustration, but think of a family. Does disobedience sometimes bring distance in a relationship? Of course it does. My kids were perfect, but I've heard about yours that they, when they act up, so I just have to use an analogy. <laughs> but disobedience can create some distance, but yet you feel your fatherhood 
probably even stronger when your kids are in a tough spot. But oh, the joy of obedience. Oh, the joy of, yes, I see it a little more how you do now. Let's continue. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You want to see a picture of the compassion of Jesus? We have the Holy Spirit that teaches us all things. All things that matter most. If you're a student and you got had a test Friday, you can't just go to the teacher and say, I didn't study, but I asked the Holy Spirit to guide me into all things. So all things that matter most, the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit cuts through whatever keeps us from seeing and compels us to act with the compassion of Jesus. One of the beautiful pictures of Jesus' compassion here is he anticipates what we need. He anticipates it. Picture him with the disciples. Picture his tender care. He knows what they will need. He knows the trouble they will face. I want to talk about trouble from a couple perspectives. First of all, there is trouble from the outside that the disciples face, that we face. Jesus says this in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have peace trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What is the world? In John's vocabulary, let me take you to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What trouble do we get in this world from the outside? We got a system that's based on my wants and your wants, and those wants being in conflict. We see this in a worldwide scale. We can see it. We saw it last week in our community. We continue to see violence. We continue to see will to power. We continue to see all these examples of a world system that is based on this is mine, I want this, and you cannot have it. The pride of life, it's all about me. Jesus offers something different than that. But there is a challenge from the outside 
that says the world revolves around you. We are bombarded with that, which leads us to trouble from the inside. Hear these words from 1 John 3, 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The Holy Spirit reminds us, guides us in all truth, objective truth, the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit works in us to remind us that he is present. Now, what condemns your heart this morning? What is it? What are the things that keep you from not only knowing the truth about God, but experiencing his presence in your life? I'm just going to sketch a couple things, and I'll allow the Holy Spirit to continue the work. But as we think about inside, trouble from the inside, I believe there is there are a number of cliches. There's a cliched version of faith that keeps us from seeing Jesus clearly. Let's talk about a cliche for just a moment. What is a what is a cliche? A, cl- a cliche is Technically, it's the printer's jargon for the metal plate coming and producing endless copies without variety and oversimplified. Way back in the days of the early printing press, it's the click. That was a cliche. And I believe even from the inside, even as followers of Jesus, sometimes we succumb to the cliches of faith, the simple, oversimplified version of faith, the oversimplified version of how God works in the midst of our pain. God can never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that one? If you're in pain, how does that hit you? Are you kidding me? I can't handle this. Now, there's a grain of truth in every cliche, okay? The original expression, you know, I used to teach English back in the day, and my students would say, well, how come Shakespeare used all those cliches? So, well, he was the one who said it first. But there's a, there's a, there's a grain of truth 
in the cliches that we have, but they're incomplete. All things work for good. If that's all we have from Romans 8, what does that mean? Well, if my circumstances are good, if I get the job, if I get healed, then God is good. But if I don't, then he's not. Well, there's a bigger frame in that passage that we've got to dig into. But friends, we have to be careful that we get the big picture. And what the Holy Spirit does is helps us see all of God's Word, helps us see the nuance, helps us see the complexity, helps us see the reality that God is present, God is with us, and we don't have to be dependent upon circumstances. We don't have to be dependent upon feelings. We don't have to be dependent upon nice sayings. So ultimately, what does the Spirit do? Romans 8.26 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What a staggering promise. What a compelling promise. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.14. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And as we reflect on the compassion of God, it is a compassion that compels and it is a compassion that brings us together to the communion table. I want to invite you at this time, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith, your, your trust in Christ, we have the opportunity to remember. You see, Jesus didn't just give us abstract truths to contemplate. He gave us a meal. He gave us the bread and the cup to remind us of his compassion. And when we share that meal, we remember what he did for us on the cross. So I would invite you this time, if you've, you're a follower of Jesus, to hold the bread in your hand. And we're reminded on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. May we receive the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, this represents my blood, blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of the new covenant. So just as we receive the bread, may we now receive the cup together. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you this morning, we come reminded of your compassion, reminded of your goodness and your grace to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you cut through everything that keeps us from you. 
and that you compel us to act in compassion. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.